The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and your love and your mercy. For your promise to be with us today. You tell us in your word that where two or three are gathered together in your name, you will be in the midst of them. And so we come as a, as a multitude, Lord, who are gathered in your name to hear from you. We thank you, God, that the way that you have um, chosen to hear from us is... Um, is through your word. It's not mystical. It's, it's straightforward. It's, it's available to us, accessible to us. And so, Lord, as we open your word, uh, as we read the, um, the legacy of faith from Paul given to Timothy, we ask that you would uh, strengthen us and help us to know you, to love you, to serve you, and to be equipped uh, for your work in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we looked at uh, a large portion of the uh, first letter of Paul to Timothy, and today we're looking at 2 Timothy, a little bit shorter, uh, four chapters. It is um, uh, 2 Timothy, or, or both of the letters. You may remember that um, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy. He's, he has appointed Timothy to uh, oversee the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was an important city. Uh, it was a city of... Um, that had, uh, whose church had been established by St. Paul, probably several house churches meeting around. And Paul was there for uh, at least three years, had interacted, visited a couple other times uh, to Ephesus, and just lo- Paul loved them. Paul loved the Ephesians. If you read the letter to the Ephesians, you can see the love uh, there that he has from the affection, the particular pastoral care he has. And you can read about it in Acts as well. And so it was no small thing for Paul to appoint Timothy to oversee the Christian church there. He also loves Timothy. Now, if you remember, Timothy is a co-author with Paul on many of the letters. I think um, definitely First and Second Thessalonians. I think also Colossians, Galatians. No, not Galatians, but Colossians, Philippians, uh, and a couple others as well. So, um, so he was important. He was really a right-hand man, but a, but a protege uh, for Paul. He's written him his first letter. The first letter was really about uh, how to uh, how to establish authority and leadership there uh, over the church. It was a lot about making sure the doctrine was pure, and the people who were teaching doctrine were teaching pure doctrine. Uh, and this, though, this Second Timothy is really a legacy letter. Scholars have noted that it has uh, similarities to uh, the. Uh, farewell discourse of Jesus to Moses's uh, final sort of farewell in Deuteronomy. Uh, it, it really sort of, um, in terms of its genre, it feels like a farewell discourse. And um, he is really writing a, uh, about a legacy. He's writing to him from, from prison uh, in Rome, and it seems that he feels like his death is imminent. Maybe not any day now, but, but inevitable at the very least. Uh, not it would and it wouldn't have been every day because towards the, uh, any day because towards the end of the letter this letter he asks him he says come visit me and bring me my parchment so he still had has some uh, work to do it seems like but but nevertheless he knows that this is we're, we're we're reaching the end for for Paul he's an old man now he's lived a, a long life of evangelism after a life of um, of sort of zealot uh, zealous Phariseeism but um. And so this is his legacy. I heard a, a podcast uh, this week that talked about, uh, they sort of asked the question, doesn't everybody leave a legacy uh, 
positive or negative? And they said, no, only the virtuous person leaves a legacy. Everyone else just leaves a mark. Um, and, and, and that's the way they were, were thinking about it. They said, you know, you're, you're, the works that you do are going to be long forgotten um, uh, much sooner than you would, would like to admit. But the legacy is the, uh, as defined in this podcast, but I thought it was really good, uh, the, the legacy was, was the intentional edification of other people so that they may then build up other people and you carry it on that way. And so this is, um, so the legacy is the people you intentionally build up to carry on what you've accomplished after you're gone. And that's what um, Paul is really doing with Timothy here. You read it and you can feel the compassion. You can really just, uh, if, you, if you take time to read it and not just sort of glaze through it, but, um, but really get into the emotion of it, there's, there's a depth of love and tender fatherly affection uh, building into Timothy. And let me just say that mentorship is so important. Mentorship, especially in the church, but really in in every arena, I think, but in the church particularly, not only is it important for us to find good mentors, but it is important to be a good mentor, to look for people that you can build your legacy of faith into. Now, some of you may be more in that stage of life than, than the other, uh, and I think in my stage of life, I'm looking in both directions. You know, I'm looking for those that I can uh, help build up. And I'm looking for those still very much uh, looking for those who uh, can help me learn. But it, it is important to look for those individuals that you can pass on. Um, in my experience, it doesn't have to always be like this, but male to male, female to female sort of works best. And there's mentors, some sort of intimate kind of relationship. But it doesn't always have to be like that by any stretch many women that I've learned from and um, many men who have uh, built into women and leadership and, and so forth, but discipleship. But um, so the question then, who, you know, as we get into this uh, second chapter, Timothy, is just for you to be thinking about, praying about who would God put in your path that you can leave a legacy with, not just a mark, you know, so maybe it's your children, grandchildren, uh, maybe it's people in your community uh, as well. So Paul is writing to encourage Timothy to persevere in his faith and his leadership through suffering. Uh, And he does, at the end, he appeals to Timothy to come to Rome for a visit. It doesn't seem at all that he's saying, you've had your time in Ephesus, now come come be with me. He's he's saying, you know, just take a a vacation, come see me, and bring my parchments. But... um, Interesting. In Rome, he couldn't get a hold of it. I guess it was some particular writing that he, he wanted to hold on to. So the first letter was talking about uh, casting out false teaching. Remember that um, great sort of the governing verse there? The aim of our charge is love, which issues from a, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And we spent some time working through those things. Um, but it seems from the second letter that, that Timothy's still having difficulty <coughs> They're in uh, church leadership. Again, you know, you, not in this church, because y'all are great, but church leadership can be difficult, right? So, because um, you people, I mean, not you people, but uh, uh, some people are crazy. Um, they, um, it's, you know, it's hard, because, you know, we, part of the privilege, I mean, you know, like I, this week was really hard, uh, pastorally, for, for us, because it is a hard and sometimes a terrible privilege. Uh, to, to sit with our people through times of incredible difficulty. 
This is an incredible... I, they can teach you all the theology in the world at seminary, but the emotional freight uh, of being uh, a pastor is more... I mean, you just that's on-the-job training. Like you, don't, you can't really be prepared for that. And you have to put up really healthy um, systems in place in order to be rejuvenated. And finding a good mentor and finding a good mentee are part of those, uh, those things. Uh, sharing your burdens. I mean, that's part of the glory of the, of the body of Christ. Uh, is sharing your burdens. Having someone to talk those things through with. Uh, to pr- know that you're prayed for. Also really, really uh, important. But I don't want at all, this is not at all a, a poor me uh, kind of thing. I mean, this is, all of you, again, all of you are Christian leaders. Every one of you. Uh, again, the question is, are you going to leave a legacy or are you going to leave a mark? But the, uh, all of you are Christian leaders. And so there is some expectation. I think that you that we all uh, carries the emotional freight uh, of other people, those that we are, are living into. I mean, you can see that, that Paul wasn't just Timothy's pastor, but he's carrying some emotional freight for Timothy, um, and he really loves him. So, um, so part of Christian leadership is persevering through difficulty. I mean, that's just that's just part of the the program, part of the package. Persevering through difficulty, holding on to faith when God hasn't snapped his fingers and made it all better. And I bet you can think of a time in your life, maybe in the recent past, maybe you're going through it now, a time when you had to hold on to your faith in Jesus through a difficult time where Jesus wasn't making it easier. And you know, that's, that is, um, that's a hard thing pastorally, but it's a hard thing personally, to hold on to the faith in the one being who could make it better and yet is choosing not to at this time. And it is, um, it takes a disciplined faith not to just say, forget it and leave it. Um, not to be discouraged or even in the midst of discouragement to cling to that faith. And so in the midst of the difficulty that Timothy's having, Paul is encouraging him to hold on. Hold on to the one who will provide strength and comfort, who could fix it but is not. And, um, you know, it could be that for you, it could be the death of a loved one or a, a difficult financial time. It could be a, an illness. Uh, you could be getting sued. You could be going through divorce or marital problems. Your children are off the rails. I mean, there's just any number of things. You can say it's just a, such a difficult time. God, why isn't, why isn't this getting better? God, why me? Why me? What have I done to deserve this? How is this how you treat your... I mean, there's... I don't know if you've gone down that road, but it is not hard to do. It is not hard to do. How could a good God allow bad things to happen? I mean, that's the question that all of us at some point are going to have to wrestle with. If you're not wrestling with that question, you're not looking in... Your eyes aren't open to the world, to your own life, to the world around you. How can God... You know, like... Uh, after the after a natural disaster, um, how could a good God, who how could a God who is both good and sovereign, allow this suffering to happen? Uh, it is it is that is the, theologically that's called theodicy, and it is a um, it is a question that every Christian wrestles with, and you can imagine pe- many people have have written lots of books on that. Many people have lost their faith over that. Uh, I, I do. I will say I think God is compassionate, and He is far more gracious than I am, uh, or any of us are. 
uh, and I think he understands those things. While one person might have the grace to hold on to faith, while another might not. Um, I mean, how do you? Let me ask you. Let me just open up for just a minute. I don't want this could we could stop right here and take the whole time. But how, how do you hold on to faith during those times? Yes. For me personally, when I I prayed for something for a long time and nothing has changed. I can't lose my faith over it because how I, how God has saved me and everything else He is to me far far outweighs the the bad and the the disappointment. So Connie says every everything <laughs> that He is to me way outweighs the disappointment and the bad. I mean I think that's. It. Let me just say that I I really think that that perspective is actually given to you as a grace to you by God. Like it just, that is supernatural. I mean, I agree with you. I think that is itself a grace. I've had, um, I'm going to, just one second, Jim. I've had folks say that um, to me that sort of in retrospect, that it was the suffering that brought them so close to the Lord. Um, and listen, I don't want any of you to go through suffering. I don't want to go through suffering myself. But it is sometimes the means by which we do draw close to Him. Yeah, Jim. Uh, it just for myself, it, it always comes to mind uh, Peter's words. Um, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yeah. So if He can't do it or won't do it, um, there is no other place to turn to. Yeah. If he can't do it, there's no other place to turn. I, you know, I think that um, there's a story I've told before of, of Frank Limehouse, my mentor, who, uh, when he was er- early on, you know, he went and some uh, to pass really some um, a lady had just lost her son to a, in a car accident, and he um, he with all the compassion he could muster, he said, you know, I just want you to know that God did not do this to your son. And she looked him in the eye. And she said. Yes, he did. Don't take that away from me. If you take that away from me, you take away the one hope that there's any goodness involved here that I cannot see. In other words, she had the perspective to say that I don't like this and I don't want it to change immediately. But if God didn't do it, then there's no then it's chaos. But if God had his hand in it, then there must be some good that I cannot see. That's a pretty mature perspective. And takes an incredible amount of faith, and I'm, I can't imagine she didn't waver in that um, uh, and go through the whole spectrum of grief. But but it was a, it was an important lesson for him. Yes, Susie. You know, I, if you think of life as a journey, I can think of things that have happened in the past that have caused me great grief or distress, and he's moved me from that point to where I am now. So it's kind of like. A pre-course or an introduction. Yeah. So I have to keep thinking that he has something much, much better, and that's Pollyanna, but still. No, I mean I don't think it is. I mean, yeah. Susie said there's thing you've gone through things and you can look back and see how, seen how he's been faithful in difficult things. It does feel sometimes, at least to me, like he brings you to things you're like, oh, really? Like, and yet when you get through it, that prepares you for what's coming next. I know he's going to be faithful in this one. And, and this one's going to be harder than the last one, you know. Um, 
So Paul appeals to Timothy's legacy of faith, the, the faith that has been handed down to me. He talks about his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, and is in you through the laying on of my hands, which is essentially ordination. Uh, Paul says this is verse 6 of chapter 1. For, then he says this, and it's, it's sort of akin to the passage, the verse in 1 Timothy, um, where he just kind of has this governing verse. Where he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. A spirit not of fear, uh, power, love, self-control. The NIV translates that, uh, uh, did not give us a spirit of timidity. And I just always assumed that he was making a play on words with Timothy and timidity. But it's actually, I looked it up in the Greek, it's not that. It's just fear. But it's a sort of, you know, it is a sort of timid fear. Um, and uh, it is, he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, not to be, I mean, think of how many of your decisions are governed by fear, that are uh, may put into place because you are afraid of the outcome. Uh, and uh, w- there's a difference between fear and wisdom, uh, I think, I hope. Fear, is the, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, I know that, but um, difficult times bring fear. You know, um, it, it just is... Um, you know, I saw yes, I saw yesterday that uh, I was watching South Carolina uh, beat Georgia, and the um, uh, which was awesome. And the um, and, and Kirby Smart, the head coach of Georgia, had a uh, had hit it fourth and short, and he, he decided to, uh, to to punt, and and um, and they said why why would he do that? Why would he just go for it? And and they said oh yeah, he was the defensive coordinator for Alabama when uh, during the the uh, kick six when Auburn ran it back in uh, in that wonderful play. So you know that a difficult time for Kirby's name, but that probably doesn't make sense. But <laughs> difficult times bring fear. You think oh they're having here what if what if what if? Um, and if, let me say that fear that is not of God is not fear from God. Uh, Fear that is not of God is not from God. So in other words, God has not placed in you a spirit of fear. Uh, but fear of the Lord is the beginning. So those are two, you're not being afraid of God. That's, that's an awe. That's a worshipful um, submission. But fear that drives our um, uh, how we are, uh, that inhibits us from doing what God has called us to do is not from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but He gave us a spirit of power. That's dunamis. That's where we get dynamite from. A spirit of power, of love, agape, and self-control. We want to think through those things before we look at the rest of it. There's a ton. We may not get to it all, but um, of power, not magic, right? Sometimes we try to make our faith magic, especially if you run in charismatic or evangelical circles. Um, if I just say the right Words. If I squeeze my eyes hard enough while I'm praying, um, you know, if I just have the faith, if I remember to pray this prayer, um, it's, we, we are tempted to make our faith like that. Um, that is not what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? God has given us a spirit of power. What, what does he mean? The Holy Spirit, Yes. But why wouldn't you say He's given us the Holy Spirit? I mean, there is, there's some, there's some uh, element of, of power that He's wanting uh, Timothy to step into. What do you think, Rick? He's given us the ability to act. The ability to act, right? Passive uh, recipient. Okay, yeah. Same power 
Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations. It is the same one who who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So it's not magic, it's but His sovereign choice to work through us. The God, you are actually a vessel, an element of a, a, um, a conduit of His grace. God is working in us. He's given us that spirit of power. So it's not a power to your own purposes, but to His own purposes. Right? Love. We talked about this some last week. Agape. Think about tons and tons of passages that talk about this love. I mean, that really is the heartbeat of Christianity, God's love for us. 1 John 4, God is love, right? 1 Timothy 1 5, the aim of our charge is love, as we talked about last week. John 13, Jesus says, Love one another as I have loved you. That's that's the verb form of agape, agapao. It's it's to, uh, to love one another. He's not just saying... Whatever feels like um, happiness. You know, we talked about last week that, that sometimes the, um, what we mean when we say I love you is I love what you do for me. That, that we're sort of consumers. But Christian love is a self-emptying, sacrificial, God-honoring, other-oriented, non-consumeristic love. Say that again, those words. Self-emptying, sacrificial, God-honoring, other-oriented, non-consumeristic love. It is one way. It's not a two-way street. It is, I'm loving you no matter what. There's inherent forgiveness uh, and a determination to love. And it ain't easy, right? Yes, ma'am. All through Scripture, the very short term that Jesus uses Fear not, for I am with you. It says it all. Fear not, for I am with you. That's right, because He loves us, right? So, and, and our love... Be courageous. Our love is predicated on His love for us. So power, love, and... Doggone it. Self-control. <laughs> uh, the King James uh, translates this sound mind. The NIV translates it self discipline. And let me just say, it is, I think, uh, this may be harder than, than love, self-emptying love. Um, but by the grace and power of God in you, you are not mastered by your own emotions. You know, think about how, like, you know, you get angry, and let me tell you, I'm, I am preaching to myself here. You get angry, and everything flares up in you, and you just, you doggone it, have the right to let them know. Or, um, or you're just sad about something and you just, you're off the rails about it. Or, or whatever it is, by the grace and power of God in you, you, are, you have the power, you have been given the spirit of self-control, self-discipline, sound mind. You're in control and it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of repentance. It's not a light switch. Right? But it, and it's not just self-mastery, it's faith. Right? God is sovereign, so I don't need to... If God is sovereign, then I don't need to fly off the handle and try to manage and control. Uh, because I can just trust if God's sovereign, I can't wait to see what comes next. Now, that's much easier said than done. But how many of us are, in a sense, mastered by our emotions? Uh, all over the place. Because of our anger or our... 
um, you know, whatever, whatever. Also, it may, maybe it's positive emotions, but um, we, we, rose-colored glasses or something like that. Self-control. Paul is calling Timothy to the same thing that he himself exercises in his own suffering. That, that's really important for us to know. He's passing on his legacy. And he has experienced in his own suffering power, love, self-control. And so he's calling Timothy uh, to the same thing. This is what he says about it. Um, For I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. So I'm in verse um, 12, chapter 1. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. What a precious phrase that is. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he holds it lightly. He's not trying to manage or control and say, look at all I've worked for. He's saying, this, I work unto the Lord. If the Lord uh, gives it, the Lord can take it away, but it's up to Him and I, He is going to be the one who guards it. So I'm not going to be beholden to my own emotion. It's pretty, it's pretty powerful. And not, it's not stoicism. It's faith. Right? So we move into chapter 2. And, and he says, you then, so he kind of takes a turn, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, what does he mean? What does that mean? Be strengthened by grace. Grace is, is forgiveness. Grace is unmerited favor. How, how does that strength, how, do, how can we be strengthened? In, in what way are we strengthened by grace? Yes, Doc. That in the process of living under the authority of God's word, we, we, we fail so often. And when we seek God's grace and understand we're forgiven, it continues to strengthen us and mature us. Uh, there's a verse 13, which I was listening as you said, verse 13 in chapter 2 says, If we believe not, yet he abided faithful, he cannot deny himself. Yes. And so it's, it's so in some of these trials where we lose faith so he's faithful to himself so it's just like the experience of seeing him work through difficult times the experience of receiving that forgiveness receiving that grace over and over again strengthens us time to come and there's maybe times in your own life where you have come to the cross uh, in confession and received that forgiveness and that may actually buffer you a little from making the same decision again. Maybe it doesn't always, but sometimes all sometimes that experience of having to come back again and again. Is it, is it the, the knowledge of the grace gives us a humility which strengthens? A humility. I mean, that's sort of the upside down. You think humility is actually the opposite of strength being strengthened, but it's actually again it's the mustard seed, right? It's not the size of the faith; it's the object of the faith. It's um, it's he must increase, I must decrease. So it's we are strengthened in that sense, where he, um, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I think that's good. That's really good. This is what he, but he, but we also partner. I mean, it's, we have to live our own life, right? I mean, there is a part of us that there a major part of our life that is uh, us living in the world, not just him. We're not puppets. And so listen to what he says. He says share in suffering. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits 
since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. No soldier gets tangled in civilian affairs. What is he calling? What is, what, what is Paul calling Timothy to? He'll get wrapped up in the world. Yep. Focus. Right? Keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? That's... that's um, uh, don't uh, focus. No soldier gets tangled in civilian affairs. What about an athlete is not crowned unless he follows the rules, competes according to the rules? What is what's he mean there? Yeah. Obedience, sure. You know, in running a marathon, if there are people who go off the track and get help and come back on and win, they haven't really won; they've lost. Yeah. So it, when I like when I um, took that roundabout and went the other way, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, that was that was awesome. It's yeah, cheat, don't cheat, right? Yeah, that's right, don't cheat. So it's, it's, there's discipline, right? I mean, you've got obedience, righteousness. We, I mean, certainly we're not saved by grace. I mean, we're, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But, um, but there is a call to righteousness. There is a call to personal holiness, which is directed by the law of God. Again, the law condemns. The law um, shows us what, where we, it's like a mirror. It shows us where we fall short. shows us what's out of place. And yet it is in um, seeing that that we um, work with Him by grace to correct those things. Um, the hardworking farmer, so there's focus, there's obedience and righteousness, and then the hardworking farmer has the uh, first share of the crops. What is he talking about? Don't be afraid of hard work. Hard work. Work ethics. Stay at it. Yeah, see, Paul was a Protestant. Um, so, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but this is what he says. So not just okay. So Tim, you can okay. Focus, uh, obedience, hard work. Tim says, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." This is what he says to correct this sort of inward focus. Remember Jesus Christ. That's what he's verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. In other words, don't keep looking at yourself and trying to do these things. Look at Jesus, and these things these will be fruit. Right? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So love is a fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure power is too. He, that's not a comprehensive list. But, um, and then he's, you know, he said, flee youthful passions. Um, I'm going to skip over this, this part, which is really uh, important. Um, but I want to talk about um, chapter 3. Maybe we can come back to that. Chapter 3. Let me start with verse 10. You, so he's talking again about the false teachers and the, um, the things that are required of, of Christian leaders. Um, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from, all them, from, the, from them all... The Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hear, hear that again. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's, it's going to be hard. Bad things are going to happen. But as for you, 
continue in what you've learned. In other words, self-control. You're not, you're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated about these things. You're not uh, beholden to your emotion. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Now here's what I really, here's where we're focusing. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired. So the word uh, inspire means like in spirit, breathe in the word for spirit and breath and wind. Ruach. It's all the same word. The Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And listen, watch the progression that Paul goes through. These aren't four independent things. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So, um, let's say I um, am cheating on my taxes. And I didn't know that it was, I mean, I thought, well, gosh, yeah, I, I mean, I can see right here on the form, I'm super smart, and I, but I, I can't, I can see that I'm, um, I can see how to save myself a few bucks, so I'm going to, uh, it's outside the bounds of the law, but it seems like a good idea to me. And I, um, first I have to be taught that that is wrong, then I have to feel the burden of that wrong, that's reproof, so teaching, then reproof, then I have to be corrected, so I'm changing fixing my mistakes, and training righteousness. This is a picture of repentance, isn't it? It's we're taught, we're reproved, we're corrected, and then we're moving in the other direction. We're training in righteousness. So it not be cheating on your taxes. It could be cheating on your spouse. You know, it could be cheating on... It could be doing anything. Any, anything that is outside the will or the law of God. You first have to be taught. Then you have to be reproved. Then you have to be corrected. Then you have to be trained in righteousness. That... The man of God, and let me say that the Greek word there that is translated man is a masculine word, but what they meant was all people. This is how the language works. Um, But so that the men and women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, we're not saved by our works, we're saved to them. Right? Um, This is an extraordinary statement about the the inspiration of the scriptures. And so when um when you hear that all scripture is breathed out by God, all scripture is inspired by is God inspired. What is what does that mean? How do you how do you hold this that all scripture is this Bible? How do you hold that that all scripture is breathed out by God? What does that mean about the Bible? About the scriptures? Infallible, inerrant. We have to be. We have to know what we mean by those words, because I don't think inerrant means there's never been a transcription error. But it speaks to the source. It speaks to the source. What do you mean by that? That the source of the scripture is from God. That's right. So yeah, it may have its intricacies or whatever, but you can be sure where it came from. You can be sure where it came from. That's right. There's power in the word. There's power in it. It's self-authenticating. It gives you strength. Yes. 
Because it's alive. It's alive. The Word of God is living and active. Well, it's Jesus. The author of Hebrews says. Yeah. And the Word of God is manifest in the flesh. The Word of God in the flesh is Jesus. So, I mean, this is not Jesus. This is ink and paper. But this is um, Jesus is the incarnation of all that this represents and all this is. Which means if it is from God, it is authoritative supremely. There are lots of it that I wish it didn't say. And it would, it would, it would sure make my life easier if it didn't, if it didn't say things uh, that it says. And, and as the, um, the bishops at the Lambeth Conference said in, uh, uh, 20 years ago now, they said, uh, before we understand it, we stand under it. Before we, what? Before we understand it, we stand under it. Now, that doesn't, mean blind, like, that doesn't mean blind. You can ask questions of it. You can argue with it. You can wrestle with it. But you don't really get to say, there's parts I like and parts I don't like. I mean, if it's if it is, um, or well, you can say that, but you can say you can't really say there's parts I follow and parts I don't follow. Um, it is a human document, and it is a divine document. We're going to actually talk about this in the class this afternoon, uh, the how to teach a class class. So if you've ever wanted to know how to teach a class, then come learn how to teach a class and how to teach a class class. So um, that is going to be after after the 10:30 service. A lot of you already signed up, but um, we're going to be talking about this. Is it a divine document? Or a human document? Yeah, it is. It's both. But the source, the inspiration comes from God. Which is not to say that if they had taken their fingers off the quill, that it would have kept writing. Right? But it is inspired. It is the way that God wanted us to receive it. Now there's, every English version is in some sense, not just a translation, but an interpretation. Right? That's why... I mean, the translators of this said self-control, whereas the translators of the King James said sound mind. And the NIV said there's an interpretive element there. And so it's actually good to look at multiple versions, multiple translations. But it is, you can trust its authority um, and because you can trust its source. It helps, yeah, I mean, there's really, there's no better way. There's no, I mean, I, I love prayer and, you know, different kinds of meditative prayer and, and certainly liturgical worship. And I love listening to Christian rock, you know, rolling down the road. And I love, those are all great. But it is the Word of God and our continually, continual exposure to the Word of God over many years, over the course of our life, that brings us closer to God. That is how we grow in Christ. And it is much, it is very important to do that on your own, but it needs to be done in community as well, because you're always going to see things through your own filter. So to be exposed to other people's filters is going to shape us uh, in His image. The last thing he says, chapter four: I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and um, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Here's what he says: verse two, chapter four: Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, he says to Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, 
exhort with complete patience. In other words, don't you know, tell them the truth, but don't get mad when they don't get it. Just say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Complete patience and teaching. Now, I encourage you to go back and spend some time with First and Second Timothy. They are really these pastoral epistles are really, really precious. But it's eleven minutes after ten, and I gotta go to church. So God bless you. Uh, next week we are oh I forgot to look, but we're taking what's uh, so this was chapter eighty nine. So what's chapter oh I'm skipping ninety. I remember I was skipping ninety one. What's ninety one? Active ingredients, that's... Uh, oh, Corinthians. Corinthians 13. I think that's it. I'll put it up on um, the e-news. Put it up on the e-news. We're getting close, guys. We're getting close. God bless you. Go to church.